following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One. Broadway needs to stand for something or take a knee for something and not worry about the repercussions to itself for it. I think it's absolutely vital. Um, And then on the flip side, I think it's very important, I've said this before, as consumers to support the shows. You know, we, at at theater, you can't watch it anywhere in the world. You can't turn on Netflix and watch it. It kind of relies on people coming to physically purchase tickets. The houses are only so big, so they can only sell so many tickets. But it's vital that if you want diversity and you see a show that's good, to take the time out to see it. Welcome to the Forbes Under 30 Podcast. I'm Steve Goldblum, your host. On this show, we speak with young entrepreneurs and innovators. And taking a moment to thank our sponsors, Rocket Mortgage and ZipRecruiter. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. You'll hear more about these companies later in the show. Hey, everybody. It's Laurel, executive producer for Forbes Podcasts. Steve was away on assignment, so for today's episode, we hear a chat that took place at the Forbes Under 30 Summit last year between original Hamilton cast member Oak Anadawan and Zach O'Malley-Greenberg, senior editor at Forbes. Please welcome to the stage moderator Zach O'Malley-Greenberg, senior editor, media and entertainment, Forbes Media, and actor Akiriete Anadawan. So uh, how many... How many of you have heard of a little production called Hamilton? (laughs) Yeah, it's okay. Uh, So I think the audience is is familiar with your work, Oak, I would say. Um, We know the story of Hamilton. Maybe some people out there know the story of Great Comet. But where does the story of Oak begin? Um, Super quick. I grew up in New Jersey. No? Yeah, right. One person. Yeah. Yeah. some more people, yeah. Um, yeah, I grew up in New Jersey. My family's Nigerian. Um, I was the first one born here, so I'm from immigrant, immigrant family, and uh, I used to play football, and I got injured. And when I got injured, um, I got in trouble a lot. I got kicked out of school a lot, so I needed to do something to kind of keep me occupied, keep me focused, and I got into performing. And uh, I went to Rutgers University for uh, a year. Nobody? Cool, just me. Um, <laughs> And then uh, I got kicked out of Rutgers, and I kind of moved to New York City and kind of hit the ground running and, and kind of learned by fire and auditioned and kind of came up from, like, downtown theater, off-Broadway off theater, really did took the long, long road. And then uh, this little musical came about that said, we need someone who can act and sing and also rap. And uh, I'm a poet and, and always rapped as a kid, so it was kind of a perfect storm. I was like, actually, that's my, that's my skill set. And uh, everybody in that show is that specific. They all had specific skill sets that the show kind of needed, which is what made it so special. And you were there from the very beginning, right? Original yeah. cast member, yeah. you know, all the way uh, from the public uh, yeah. g- going on. Um, what was it like in its early stages? Um, it, it was it was almost like college ball, you know? Like in the early stages, everyone was just so excited and we didn't worry about like appearances or how it was received or, or fans or any of that stuff. It was just kind of really for the love of the game. Just this really beautiful piece that we all loved. And it was, those were kind of the, I guess like the golden year because it was, you know, but it was really it was really nice to not have to worry about anything and just really focus on the show every day. It was really, it was really great. I think we kind of take for granted now Hamilton is this huge smashing success and, and so on, but, you know, the idea of a hip-hop-themed musical about Alexander Hamilton, who was, I mean, obviously a founding father, but not, you know, he wasn't, let's say, one of the best-known ones yeah. 
at the outset. Um, you know, he was kind of maybe in danger of falling off the $10 bill. Uh, you know, yeah. what, when did you think, gee, this is going to be a, a huge hit? Um, I think, like, I thought that. I always say downtown when we did it at the public when Busta Rhymes came one night. We're like, oh, my God, it's Busta Rhymes. And then Weird Al Yankovic came. I was like, oh, oh, yeah, that's Weird Al, too. And then, like, the Clinton showed up. We're like, mm, okay, okay. And then Q-Tip shows up. We're like, this is getting random. Like, it's just the most, it was just, like, the most random people. And, like, and then, like, Supreme Court justices came. And it, it's like, when would you have all of those different people from different fat George Lucas then showed up one night, and I'm like, George Lucas, Busta Rhymes, Q-Tip, Weird Al, the Clintons. It's like, I can't think of anything that would really bring all those different people together and have them all walk away being like, good job, guys. Like, it's, you know, McCain also came downtown, too. Like, yeah, that guy came. So it was, it was kind of just amazing just to, see, um, just to see so many different people from so many different uh, walks of life come to the theater, see the show, and all say, you know, we were touched and moved by it. It's hard to reach that many different people with one, with one thing. What was kind of the most bizarre interaction that you, that you witnessed with, with kind of that uh, compilation of people that, you know, was kind of milling around Hamilton uh, from, the, from the beginning? Um, there was... It, it was kind of like you, the celebrity hierarchy was kind of weird. Like, one day Jimmy Fallon came, and everyone's like, Jimmy Fallon. And then you see, like, Sarah Bareilles in the corner geeking out at, at the fact that Jimmy Fallon's there. You know, and you're like, that's kind of weird. And then once, when the Clintons came, everyone's like, the Clintons are here. And then, like, Jake Gyllenhaal was, like, trying to get in. He was like, hey, what's going on over there? And it was just kind of like, it was just funny. Because, like, any other situation, it's like, oh, my God, there's Jake Gyllenhaal. And everyone's like, Jake, can you step aside? There goes Bill. You know, it's, it's just, but that would always happen when you kind of, seeing other people who have fame kind of geek out over other people who are just kind of looking at you like, man, I can't believe you did that thing. It, um, that was like the most bizarre Twilight Zone-ish moment, I guess. Uh, what was the most memorable moment for you on stage? Was there any particular por- uh, performance that stuck out to you? Um, I, w- I would say like uh, the, the Mike Pence p- performance. I think um, this is right after the election, right? This is right Mike after Pence shows up at Hamilton. Yes, and uh, with our current chief of state, I think once he was elected, everyone just kind of became hyper aware of the impact and importance of being present as far as politics are concerned. I think everyone kind of realizes it's like really, really vital that we pay attention to what's going on. So it was surreal to have then immediately after that Pence show up and to viscerally feel, not reading tweets, not looking at things online, we can palpably feel and hear how people feel about what happened. And to see him at the show and uh, to do the show for him, knowing that, um, that like, so Hamilton is, is, it was a hit in, across the nation, people say. Everyone in the country loves it, but yet still he got elected. So that means there's, there's a cross There are people who love Hamilton and love the diversity, but there are also people who love Hamilton that fully support that administration. So when he came, you you could hear the divide, which in New York, as an artist, you live in a bubble, like everyone lived in a bubble. You wouldn't think that, but there were people cheering for him, and there were people booing for him, but it was just crazy to look at the audience and be like, wait a minute, you, you know, like, everyone is kind of represented, and I need to be aware of that. You know, we, we need to be aware that we're all sitting next to someone that we think we're in opposition of, 
And that's important because if you can sit next to them, you can hear them and find some compassion towards them. And all it takes is just a moment to just listen and um, see them past, I guess, their political point of view. So that was kind of a trip. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Support for the Forbes Under 30 podcast comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans, the mortgage company that decided to ask, why? Why can't clients get approved in minutes rather than weeks? Why can't they make adjustments to the rate and term in real time? And why can't there be client-focused technological mortgage revolution? Quicken Loans answered all these questions and more with Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home loan. Rocket Mortgage is simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your tenth, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash Forbes, equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. And, and you guys did a remarkable thing. You you came up with a, with a letter to him, basically, that, that was read out during a performance. Um, Tell me how that came together. Did you guys know ahead of time that he was going to be there that night? No. So when, when was the decision made uh, to write that letter? How did it come together? Um, and what was it like you know, being a part of that process? Um, well, the letter kind of came together from the producer. The producer kind of, um, he knew he was coming. He didn't tell us until like the last minute. I guess he was trying to, he didn't want anyone to like get in their head or worry about it too much. But right before a half hour, like half hour before the show, he told us it was happening and he said there's this letter that him and I think Lynn both drafted and, he, and they asked us to say it to him, to Mike Pence, which is kind of like, and that's the importance of when you have a platform, when you have a moment where people listen, it's also very important what you say and what you do with that platform. And uh, I think you should take time uh, to, to contemplate what you have to say. I think it should be done in more than 140 characters. Um, and, uh, and I think it should be said with confidence. And it was a really proud moment to say, here we are. Hamilton could have easily not said anything knowing that the success it is and knowing that it may take a hit by speaking against, or not speaking against, but in, in imparting something to Mike Pence. But it was, I was a really proud moment to say, you know, we are going to take advantage of this platform where everyone's listening to put something positive, to put a message out there that we think um, would benefit the country. Um, so, yeah, it was, a, it, was a really, it was a really great moment. It was a hard moment, but it was a good moment. And I think it goes to show, you know, theater, um, although not as lucrative perhaps as the, the film world or some of the other, uh, you know, parts of the entertainment industry, does have that bleeding edge ability to react to things as they happen because it's a live medium and you can go out there and, and, and address things head on like that. Yeah, and, and another thing about theater and performing, it's like I, I always say um, it's, it needs support, but the reason why people go to theater is it's different. You, we all listen to records and we all have artists that we love, but yet you still will pay hundreds of dollars to listen to that record at a concert, to be in the room with that artist while they're singing. There's something about that that can't be replaced, and it's absolutely vital, which is why we still do it. In the day and age where you can watch anything, anywhere, at any time, it doesn't make sense that people would still pay money to go to a concert, right? You're like, why would I do that? Just sit home and listen to it. But there's something about being in the room and feeling that energy of someone that can't be replicated, um, which is really great in terms of theater because you can come together, watch a, watch a piece after something happens and look around and be like, okay, 
we're on the same place, we're in it together, and we're gonna let it go. We're gonna all like focus on one thing to hopefully like distract us, take us away, elevate us, X, Y, Z. Um, so f- you went from that moment, uh, from the Pence moment at Hamilton, a couple months later to sharing, uh, uh, starring in a show of your own, Great Comet. Um, tell me you know, how that kind of originated and um, you know, how, how everything played out uh, with, with that role. Um, it just originated after, after Hamilton. Um, uh, Richard Chafkin, who's director, kind of reached out to me and said, uh, uh, you know, this, I've always seen you as being someone who could do this role. Uh, and, and The Great Comet takes place in Russia in the 1800s, um, and the cast is, much like Hamilton, very diverse. So the role was for a character named Pierre, who was a white Russian aristocrat. And um, at the time, it was... It was huge because the female lead is a black woman named Danae Benton, and it would have been two black leads playing not black, not black people, which is today, as crazy as it sounds, but kind of unheard of on Broadway in a brand new show. Um, it's, you kind of don't see that often. So I thought it was an important moment for the Broadway community to kind of say, you know, diversity is here, it's possible, and, and uh, it's not as crazy as it sounds to see. And... You know, great comet, which I saw, great show, um, and and really kind of groundbreaking. Um, but unfortunately, it closed, um, and there was a whole hubbub over that. Uh, take me through, you know, that whole process from from your perspective. Um, well, I mean, it's like super touchy, obviously. Um, but I think at the core of it, it just came down to. Uh, I think when it comes to diversity in any medium in any facet. You have to do more than just introduce it. You have to support it, nurture it. You have to feed the plant, you know? You can't just buy the plant and let it die. You have to water it, make sure it gets sunlight. You have to kind of cultivate the idea of diversity in order for it to work. And I think uh, the problem with what happened with Great Comet is um, I feel as if they didn't take the time to properly cultivate it. I don't think they took the time to promote it or have it be a selling point or to make sure people know come see the show that supports diversity. I think, uh, I felt that it was kind of an afterthought and um, they kind of didn't want to invest in it, which I think is detrimental to diversity in general because that's how it becomes, um, what's the word? Like a... Gimmick. A, yeah, yeah, that's how it becomes a gimmick or a device when it's introduced but not supported. Um, it's introduced for the sake of being introduced, but you have to take the time out to make sure that um, it's cultivated properly and the people feel like taken care of and respected and they don't feel like trick ponies. They don't feel um, like gimmicks. And I think that's ultimately was what brought the show down. And, you know, and, and um, you know, I think there were maybe elements of Great Comet where it was sort of this idea that, well, if Hamilton worked, you know, we can do this. This shouldn't be a problem. Where, where did um, Hamilton succeed that Great Comet failed? Um, I think Hamilton succeeded where Great Comet failed. I think also Hamilton, it was just like the material resonated very much so with a larger demographic of people. The music of Great Comet, it's very good, but um, it's off and it's not normal and typical and it's not as catchy. Um, and it doesn't get stuck in your head as easily as Hamilton, so that's one thing. But another thing is that Hamilton was an ensemble piece. And when you think of Hamilton, you think of Lynn, but then you also think of all the other characters. They had moments, and all the other characters had weight, and all the actors and performers playing them, um, they kind of gave them to do and elevated everybody, kind of promoted everybody. And I think that's the main difference between the two shows, why. Um, one of the main differences, why Hamilton was far more successful. And we'll be right back after this quick break. Is your company hiring? 
Okay, every business needs great people and a better way to find them. Something better than posting your job online and just praying and crossing your fingers that the right people will see it. So here's the solution. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for. They figure out the people with the right experience and then they invite them to apply to your job. In fact, 80% of employers who use and post a job on ZipRecruiter get quality candidates through the site in just a single day. The right candidates, they are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Businesses of all sizes trust ZipRecruiter for their hiring needs. And so right now, if you're listening to this show, you can use ZipRecruiter for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes and save yourself like a couple hundred bucks. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes, ZipRecruiter.com slash Forbes. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Yeah, I think a lot of people, when Obama was elected, they thought naively, oh, okay, well, racism isn't a problem anymore. Fine, great. Uh, and, and similarly, when Hamilton took off, I think on Broadway, people thought, oh, hey, okay, well, you know, this diversity thing, you know, we're all good, we're all good on that front. But clearly there's a lot more work to be done as we've seen, um, you know, Nazis marching in the streets on, yeah. on, the, on the national front. Um, in Broadway, obviously, with Great Comet, you know, it, it didn't uh, land quite the way that, that it, it was up. So what does Broadway have to do um, to kind of entrench the gains that were made by Hamilton? I think, for me, I think it just goes back into, I think it's twofold. I think Broadway in general has to water that plant. They have to promote, they have to nurture, they have to put the word out there and let you know that this show is worth coming seeing because it's great, but also because we have a cast. They cannot promote, they can, I feel like the issue is like if we promote it and it doesn't work or people may be turned off by the fact that maybe it's like message, it's like a message moment. We're diverse, message, come learn and, and get educated. But I think um, that's, I, th I think it needs to let go of that fear. Broadway needs to stand for something or take a knee for something and not worry about the repercussions to itself for it. I think it's absolutely vital. Um, and then on the flip side, I think it's very important, I've said this before, as consumers to support the shows. You know, we, at, at theater, you can't watch it anywhere in the world. You can't turn on Netflix and watch it. It kind of relies on people coming to physically purchase tickets. The houses are only so big, so they can only sell so many tickets. But it's vital that if you want diversity and you see a show that's good, to take the time out to see it. Because at the end of the day, we were talking about this earlier, it's about money. You have to make money. So if a show is made, like Hamilton made money, so people are like, oh man, we can capitalize on the diversity thing. But you also have to like support the diversity. And if we go out and we put money towards things, causes that we believe in, if it's seen financially viable, hopefully the ends justifies the means, you know, more and more productions will pop up that are diverse because it could be seen as a way to make money. And hopefully in doing that, they'll hire people that will be like, actually, the reason why I made money is because it, 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 it promoted the artists, it promoted diversity, it told different stories in a really, really good way. Um, but if it doesn't get to the stage first, that's never going to happen. And I think another thing that will help is ask consumers if we, you know, put our money towards things that we care about, like with anything else. You mentioned taking a knee for what you believe in. Uh, you've played football. You're a performer. Um, and we've talked about this. Like, there are actually some similarities between Broadway and the NFL. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. Um, well, we all know what's happening. With, well, maybe not. Does anybody know, does not know what that means by taking a knee and Kaepernick and all that stuff? No? Okay, we're all educated. That's great. Um, 
I mean, you know what happens when you assume. Um, so the, the, for me, it hit me in a certain way, and I think a lot of other performers as well, because um, there was that rhetoric of being grateful. You should be grateful, and you should be happy, and, and you get to do this and get paid money and all that stuff. And as all artists can relate, any artists know, um, you should be happy to get paid for doing your art. Like, what a, what a gift it is. You know, you should be grateful for that. Um, and you should just shut up and do that one thing. Uh, and uh, I think the, the, it relates because as artists, literally our job is to express ourselves uh, and, 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 to, and to hopefully try to change the dialogue and the discourse of the world and with anyone with a platform. So the connection of tissue there is um, we relate as artists. We're told the same thing. You know, don't step out of line. Do what we should be grateful. You should be happy. And because of that, you know, put all your other stuff aside because the number one thing is be grateful that we're, you're getting paid to do something that a lot of other people would, would pray that they would get paid to do. And um, again, what I was alluding to earlier, but the taking the knee, it's important people in powers or pos positions of power or anyone with a platform or anyone's watching them, um, you have a higher chance of reaching a larger demographic people with a message. So what you do with that power, what you do with that opportunity is vital. And I think it's important to sometimes, for the greater good of people, to take, take that hit, to take that chance, because now people are asking questions and talking about what Kaepernick is passionate about. Um, and it's very, and it's hard because he's not, he, he wasn't picked up. And as an artist and like athletes, they're seen as dispensable. How many kids are trying to play ball? How many kids are trying to sing? How many kids are trying to be in movies? Um, so uh, it's, it's very brave, but I have a lot of kinship for that as an artist because you, you really put your career on the line and you risk a lot to speak out for something you care about. And, you know, the old line, shut up and sing, shut up and play, you know, it, it's fascinating to me because you see some of the, the most impactful statements, gestures coming out of things like what you guys did uh, with the letter, open letter to Mike Pence, things mm -hmm. like that. Um, you know, think about the protest music of the 1960s, think about, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, and, and, mm -hmm. and you know, these are all people who, who now, you know, the, the refrain uh, would apply. I mean, if they had, if they had listened to that, where, where would we be if they, if they had just shut up and sang or shut up? And, yeah, but my question is, like, then who gets to say shit, you know? Okay, so artists shut up, athletes. So who gets to suddenly say how they feel? Like, doesn't everyone have a job that they should shut up and do? So, like, who is allowed to, like, actually just comment on things? It, which is my question. You look at the president. Shut up and be president. Stop telling us how you feel. Like, said... <laughs> right? That's your job. Your job isn't to tell me about how you feel about X, Y, Z. But, like, all those people are telling athletes to shut up. Why isn't anyone telling that? You're clearly not leading. Shut up. Do that. Like, Kaepernick should shut up and, like, play football. And I should shut up and, like, sing and dance on stage. But, like, raise an honest question. Like, if those are the rules, then, like, who, who are we? Who is this person whose job allows them? Or uh, shut up and develop luxury apartment buildings. You yeah. Know? <laughs> or, like, who is this ma what is this magical career that gives you permission to, like, actually say how you feel? Like, I want to know what it is. Um, well, unfortunately, we're running out of time, so one final question for you. Um, we've talked about what's next for Broadway, uh, maybe what's next for America. What is next for Oak? Um, to make more money. Um, <laughs> right? Fans of money. A few fans of money. Uh, no, um, I hope to continue to, to, I guess, just to, I don't know, I, think I, I want to do a lot of shit. 
I want to I want to keep performing and, and doing shows, but ideally I want to try and like I did a TEDx talk talking about empathy, and that's kind of like my low key like real purpose in life is to kind of um, force people to understand that. Everyone wants the world to be better. Yeah, everybody wants the world to be a better place. And I was just talking to a friend of mine and, and um, with everything that happened in Las Vegas. And uh, the question is, like, guns and take away guns, but, like, it has to start with people. So how do you change people? And I, th- I personally think that it just comes down to, like, you have to expand your idea of what your tribe is. You know, most human beings that will protect people that they care about, that they consider part of their tribe. And the divisions are like, you're not part of my tribe, so you can go to hell. So I think what empathy is, is a way of trying to expand the tribe so everyone understands that humanity is one tribe, if that makes sense. So I, as much as I can through my art, and if my art can then give me a platform where I can sit and talk to you, and they're like, people are actually listening and giving a shit to try and talk about, like, how how can we do that? And and sometimes you, like, if your mom's flipping out about something, I have my point of view, but it's my mom. So I'm, you know, I'm going to shut up and try to listen to her and, and help her out. But, I mean, that's essentially what needs to happen. I put my issues on the back burner because I have to take care of someone I care about. So I think the issue is, like, how do you get people to care about more people? Because sometimes when I need someone to step up, they put their issues on the back burner so they can take care of me. And I think um, I, in my life, hopefully want to try and introduce as many ideas as possible or ways to access that for people who feel like it's difficult to find empathy um, and also make lots of money. <laughs> All right. Well, well, on that note, we are actually out of time. Thank you so much, Oak. Thanks, Ladies Oak. and gentlemen, give it up for Oak. Thank you, guys. That's it for this episode of Forbes Under 30. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to reach out to us with a comment or question, please do so at under30, that's the number 30, at podcast1.com. Hi, I'm Spencer Raskoff, the CEO of Zillow Group, and I have a new podcast here on Podcast One called Office Hours. Listen as I have one-on-one conversations with other CEOs. We have the kind of conversations that can only happen between peers, tackling tough questions, sharing hard-won insights, and helping to define what leadership means today. Join me twice a month on Office Hours, exclusively on Apple Podcasts, PodcastOne.com, and the new Podcast One app. At the Border. I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.